All right, ladies and gentlemen, you are locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman. And today we are continuing our positional year in reviews, looking back at each position group for the Atlanta Falcons in 2021. And we are kicking off the defensive side of the ball by talking about this team's edge rushers. You are locked on Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of the locked on podcast network, your team every day. So, guys, you know me. I'm Aaron Freeman. been covering the Falcons for many years, formerly at Falcfans.com, RIP, still going strong on Twitter, at Falcfans. And, of course, the host of this preeminent Locked On Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, right here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And, of course, today's episode is going to be continuing our year-end positional reviews where we go position by position. We're talking about the edge rushers or lack thereof when it comes to this Atlanta Falcons team. Uh, But before we get into all the struggles uh, that this edge group had in 2021 and sort of what the future is for them in 2022, uh, I do want to thank you guys for making Locked on Falcons your first listen each and every day. And of course, Locked on Falcons is free and available on a variety of podcast platforms, including Apple, Odyssey, Google, and Spotify. And of course, also now on YouTube, make sure you subscribe to the Locked on Falcons YouTube channel. So talking about the Falcons pass rush, we know it was awful. Uh, They were dead last in the NFL this past year with 18 sacks. If you look at pro football Focus's cumulative pass rush grade for this Falcon team, they were, of course, dead last. Uh, Their cumulative run defensive grade was 28th. Obviously, that's not exclusive to the edge rush, and some of these other stats aren't necessarily exclusive to the edge rush group. Uh, But you look at ESPN's pass rush win weight, sorry, pass rush win rate, uh, it was 28th in the league. Their run stop win rate was 26th in the league. Go to football outsiders. Uh, the Falcons defensive adjusted line yards allowed was 29th best in the league. Their short yardage or power success rate was dead last in the league. So they were the worst uh, team in the league at defending short yardage plays. Uh, they were 29th in the league when it came to generating negative plays or those stuffed runs, according to football outsiders and their adjusted sack rate, of course, uh, basing off when they get sacks based off of down and distance was once again, dead last in the NFL. So uh, looking at that adjusted sack rate, I noticed historically that this is the third time in the last eight seasons that the Falcons have finished dead last in that adjusted sack rate metric. Uh, With 2017, when you go back, you know, in the Matt Ryan era, uh, 2017 as well as 2008 are the only years uh, where the Falcons did not finish in the bottom 10 in that adjusted sack rate. So we know that throughout the Matt Ryan era, They have struggled to get pressure on the quarterback, and that contributes to the frustration that a lot of fans have uh, that why is this problem still exists? We've known this has been a problem for a long time. You go back to Matt Ryan's rookie season, uh, those 14 seasons, uh, looking at the Falcons comparable to other teams in the league. They're dead last in the league uh, in terms of how many sacks they have generated. They're also dead last in the league when it comes to getting off the field on third downs over the last 14 seasons. So obviously these aren't necessarily issues that apply solely to the edge rush group. But when we look at the edge rushers, I think you'll be hard pressed to find another position group on this roster that is less talented 
than this group of players. And, and yeah, I know I'm the guy that's not necessarily uh, looking at the Falcons as lacking talent, but uh, this is one position where they indeed lack talent. So um, when we look at this edge rush group, there were seven players that, you know, got opportunities to play for the Falcons in 2021. Four of those players were formerly undrafted free agents. That's Stephen Means, Brandon Copeland, James Vauders, and of course, the incomparable Jacob Tuoti Mariner. One player was a fifth round pick. That was rookie Ade Ogundeji. One player was a former fourth round pick. That was third year player John Kaminsky. And the last one, of course, was none other than former number three overall for first round pick Dante Fowler. Uh, we know that Fowler doesn't look anything like a first round pick, at least based off of his time here in Atlanta. And we give Fowler credit for improving in 2021 and playing much better this past season than he did the previous year. But overall, he still was a below average edge rusher this past season. If you look at the 120 edges that had at least 125 pass rush snaps this past year, Fowler ranked 70th in pro football focuses pass rush productivity metric, uh, which is their sort of per snap metric weighted towards sack production. Among those 120 edges, Ade Ogundeji was 116, Brandon Copeland was 119, and of course, the incomparable Stephen Means was 120th. So even though Fowler didn't come close to living up to his very expensive price tag, he was far and away the only guy in this edge rush group that you could describe as competent. Even if that means by league standards, he was still a below average edge rusher. So when we look at the rest of the group, you know, I think other guys had moments, um, but certainly nothing close to being consistent across the season. You can find a game here or there where they had a moment. You could also describe Fowler's season as having moments, although he had more moments across the entire season uh, than the other guys probably combined. Um, you can certainly, if you were to look at, you know, Ogundeji means Vodders, Copeland and Kaminsky's, and you look at their like three to five best reps as pass rushers this past season, you might be able to get like 20, 25 halfway decent plays that would make a, a decent highlight clip. But the problem is those are 20 to 25 out of, you know, 1200 or so plays. Uh, and the other thousand uh, plus were, were not particularly good. And they're going to be nothing but a low light clip. So let's talk about a couple of those guys, John Kaminsky, you know, was the guy that was least utilized among this edge rusher group. Uh, he spent pretty much the entire year inactive. He did get some action in that second Panthers game and did make some positive impact as a run defender in that game with limited sample size. We'll see if the Falcons look to expand his role in the future, but obviously if he's back with the Falcons or assuming he's back with the Falcons, cause I think he will be, he'll probably enter camp on the roster bubble. Uh, you know, we look at Brandon Copeland. We found out after the season that he had surgery on his knee and he played through the entire season with, quote unquote, one and a half knees. And that's a testament to his toughness. And he had a five game stretch in the middle of the season uh, where he got a lot of playing time. But outside of that, his playing time was sporadic and it's probably owed to the fact that he was playing injured, uh, even though you, when you go into the season and look at the guy's body of work. Uh, prior to this upcoming this past season, you know, Brandon Copeland was the most polished and, and proven pass rusher, owing to him having a five sack season with the Jets back in 2018. Um, you look at James Vauders, he was basically a midseason practice squad elevation. He had some moments in the middle of the season, 
against Dallas and New Orleans in the middle of the season, had some positive plays in those games, but then virtually did very little the rest of the way. Um, and, you know, there's other players that we can talk about, Stephen Means, Ade Ogundeja, and, yes, Jacob Tuodimena. We'll get into those guys coming up. I think there's a lot more to say about those guys. Um, you know, they were kind of just as bad as the rest of the group was. But with those three guys in particular, you saw very different uh, and competing narratives surrounding each of those guys and how people viewed those guys. And um, it led to some wildly different assessments of those guys, even if their play on the field wasn't dramatically different. And we'll get into that uh, as we continue today's uh, episode. Uh, but before we get there, guys, we know that, you know, football season is dwindling. Um, but just because there's less football being played, betonline.net has still has way more odds and info for this remainder of the playoff season from scores, totals, player performance props to where the next coach uh, could be fired. You know, BetOnline remains the number one spot for all things NFL betting in 2022. They also have futures bets as well. We just passed the one-year anniversary of the Rams making the Matt Stafford trade, and we're basically a week away from the one-year anniversary that I put in a bet for the Rams to win the upcoming Super Bowl as they are now four-point favorites over the Cincinnati Bengals in that game two weeks from now. And it's not just football. Because BetOnline also has basketball, hockey, boxing, UFC odds. Uh, their coverage of all those things is the best in the business. And whether we're talking about sports, all the way to your favorite Vegas casino games, BetOnline is your number one online wagering destination. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports and play your favorite games. BetOnline, where the game starts. Let's talk a little bit more about Stephen Means because he was a lightning rod for criticism among Falcon fans. Um, and whether, you know, it was all about the Falcons not having talent, uh, he seemed to be the focus of that criticism and, or you could look at, you know, people being frustrated with Dean P's mismanaging who was playing. Um, and it seemed like Stephen Means was getting way too many reps. Um, but you know, it's interesting to me at least because Stephen Means, you know, kind of played about the same amount of work. I uh, have put in the same amount of workload that he had in, in 2020, yet you didn't hear these sort of narratives or people saying he's playing too much or he's ruining Raheem Morris's defense or anything like that. Um, and maybe that's because Stephen Means' playing time last year was in mostly due to an injury to Tack McKinley uh, rather than being, quote unquote, by design, according to Dean Pease. Although, again, one wonders if Barkevius Mingo had not had his off field incident before training camp and been cut would we have seen Stephen Meads have as significant a role as he did this past season? Um, but at least last year, Stephen Meads' presence was seemingly mostly tolerated, uh, likely potentially due to the fact that he was a much more productive player in 2020 than he was in 2021. 2020, he had three sacks, six quarterback hits, and 24 pressures. This year, he had zero sacks, two quarterback hits, and only 11 pressures. Although you look at Adi Ogundeji's uh, production this year, which is one sack, two quarterback hits, and 10 pressures, uh, on a very similar workload. Um, so he's maybe marginally better per on a personal basis than Stephen Means was this past year. Uh, but yet, you know, somehow, you know, Stephen Means is the focus of all people's anger on, on this edge rush group. Meanwhile, you're seeing people talk about Adi Ogundeji like he has this 
particularly bright future. And I get it. You know, he's a young player. He has potential to develop in all these various things. And I know I'm certainly going to come off as a Stephen Means apologist and an Okandeji hater on today's episode. And, and maybe I am some of those things. Um, but it kind of speaks to what you hear me constantly talk about on this podcast with narratives uh, and the discourse surrounding certain players. You know, these two guys in particular being vastly different even though their production was virtually the same, right? They're, they're, you know, what they gave you on the football field is virtually the same, but Steven Means is one of the more, uh, let's say, least liked players on the roster, at least based off of the Falcon fans I talk to. Uh, maybe you guys talk to different guys. Um, and yet that same group generally has positive feelings about Adeo Kandeji. And then you go back to that three-game stretch where Dante Fowler was out with an injury this year. Uh, and Stephen Means was the only edge in of this group that had any level of production during that three-game stretch. And as I said then, when fans were complaining about Dean Pease playing Means too much or other players too much, I sat here and I said, like, if you were in Dean Pease's shoes and your goal is to win football games and Stephen Means is your most productive pass rusher when Dante Fowler's out of the lineup, why would you not play him on Sundays as much as you did? And, you know, I think a lot of the frustration with Stephen Means did stem from the team releasing Jacob Tuoni Mariner. And, you know, uh, to quote uh, the, the cinematic classic, uh, you know, Dewey Cox, uh, walk hard, um, you know, the wrong kid died. But, uh, you know, if, if you don't get that reference, that's going to be weird out of context. But like, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of people looked at it as they cut the wrong guy and they should have kept Jacob Tuoni Mariner and, and they kept Stephen Means instead. Um, and you know, Jacob to man still, despite only, you know, being released after what, like week eight, uh, still wound up being the team's most second, most productive edge rusher, uh, in terms of having two sacks behind only Dante Fowler's four and a half sacks. Um, and so I think that led to a lot of frustration for a lot of folks and I get it. Um, you know, JTM was my guy, you know, I wasn't necessarily thrilled to see him released, but for me, you know, you take it in stride. It is what it is, you know? Um, it seemed like the writing was on the wall that he wasn't necessarily long for the Falcons roster when they started, you know, giving his special team snaps to Adeo Gandeji. Um, but, you know, again, I, I get the anger towards the move, but, you know, for me at least, again, pardon the rant a little bit, but like I, I tend to shy away from criticizing coaches because they're not playing the right players. You know, for example, like when you hear me critic critical of Arthur Smith's play calling or whatever the case may be, I'll use like hard data, you know, examples being like, Oh, how much more efficient the Falcons are running to the right versus running to the left. Um, You know, how more efficient the Falcons offense seems to be throwing on early downs than it is running on early downs. Right. So I can look at the hard data and say, okay, when they do X, it's better than when they do Y. And so therefore they should do X more. Right. There's some level of objectivity to that, but when it comes to at least the defensive criticism I heard throughout this year, it seemed to be like, you know, they should play this guy versus that guy. And there's no real data to support that. In most cases, that's a purely subjective opinion on who you think is the better player. Uh, But in reality, you know, people that are making those criticisms aren't in the building. They're not in practice. They're not in the film room. They like, you know, they, they don't have any idea what, you know, goes into why certain players play and other players uh, get ignored. And and you see this every Sunday morning when the Falcons would release their inactive list and people would be very critical about who the Falcons selected to to play. They got to, you know, five to seven players have to be inactive each and every Sunday. 
And generally speaking, that's based heavily off of what their game plan was for that week. And since the, you know, a lot of people don't really know what their game plan is going to be. They didn't witness practice all that much during the week. I know they didn't witness any practice during that week. Like it's hard to sort of sit here and be like, Oh, they should have activated this guy versus that guy or whatever the case may be. And so like, you know, I'm not particularly, you guys know, I'm not a person that likes giving the coaches the benefit of the doubt, but like, I just don't get why fans tend to die on these specific Hills uh, that to me are frankly, you know, Hills of ignorance where you, you don't know a thing, but yet you are extremely opinionated about how certain things should operate. And so this is why, like, you know, I sit here in my infinite arrogance uh, to a lot of folks. And, and, you know, cause I think a lot of people are basing their quote unquote analysis off of conjecture and gut feelings and, and, and sort of these things. And meanwhile, like I'm basing my analysis off of film study and hard data. So, um, you know, everybody's entitled to their opinion, but I, I just don't think every opinion is equally informed. And I, I just, felt compelled because I've been holding in that rant for several months and I, I, I need to say it. And I think, you know, the whole Stephen means Adi Ogundeji, you know, dichotomy or whatever you want to call it is just one thing that epitomizes that where it's like, you know, objectively, I guess you could say, uh, you know, they're about equal in terms of their playing ability. But if I ask you like, what's your opinion of Stephen means? You'd be like, boo, he's terrible. He's trash. He's garbage. And then if I ask you about Ogundeji, he's like, hey, you know, he's all right. He could he could do some things. He could be, you know, like, and it's just like, it's just weird to me. Um, so I just wanted to say that we'll get into um, what this team needs to do in order to prove, improve this edge rusher group as we uh, continue today's Lockdown Falcons talking about whether or not the draft holds the key to that or maybe potentially free agency holds the key to that as we wrap up today's year in positional review. But before we get there, guys, I want to thank you for making Lockdown Falcons your first listen each and every day. And of course, I always like to plug what your second listen should be. Why not check out the Locked on Hawks podcast where my guy Brad Roland is giving you the lowdown on all things Atlanta Hawks. They're on a nice little run now and figure out, you know, what's exactly is clicking for this Hawks team today that wasn't necessarily clicking for them the last several months and weeks uh, by checking out the Locked on Hawks podcast available on all the same podcast platforms that you can find Locked on Falcons. So today's episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. With ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts that you need. Why wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer when you have access to rockauto.com at home or in your pocket? Save time and money when using Rock Auto instead of spending up to twice as much for the same parts from a chain store or car dealership. Rock Auto is a family business. They serve do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years with reliably low prices for every customer. They have everything you could possibly need from brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, even to new carpet. Just go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Right locked on in the how did you hear about us box so that they know we sent you amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. So when we look to the future of this edge rusher group, there's potential for a lot of turnover on the roster. Dante Fowler is essentially a free agent because his contract is voided after they kind of reworked it last off season. Um, he's still going to be on the books for about $4.7 million in dead money. 
I was asked a question during the season on one of multiple Q and A's. People asked me about whether or not the Falcons should entertain the possibility of bringing Fowler back in large part to what I said earlier on the episode where he did improve his play. And I would generally shoot that down. You're already paying Dante Fowler almost $5 million uh, in 2022. Um, And to me, he's not worth that much money. And so therefore any additional money that you would pay him to resign him, even if it was like a veteran minimum, would just be spending too much money. You can, you know, spend an equivalent amount and probably wind up getting a better player elsewhere. Um, Steven Means is also an unrestricted free agent, and he certainly could be resigned uh, in large part due to uh, Dean P's, you know, expressing great affinity towards him uh, at one point during the season in terms of him being one of those guys that epitomizes the do your job mantra, much to the chagrin, as I mentioned, uh, to a lot of Falcon fans out there. So we'll see about that. The one thing I will say in Stephen Means' favor, in addition to all the other things I've said in Stephen Means' favor already on today's episode, is that, you know, towards the end of the season, I started noticing he's getting pretty close to blocking a punt. So, you know, veteran minimum contract on a one-year deal, is it worth it if he gets a block punt next year? I think so. You guys be the judge. Uh, Brandon Copeland is also a free agent. He could also be another guy that they could wind up trying to resign for a veteran minimum contract, uh, especially if they feel like he's, you know, in a good place recovering from whatever that knee injury is uh, because, you know, essentially the Falcons need bodies at this point with this edge rusher group. They do have a number of young players already under contract. That's Adi Ogundeji, James Vauders, John Kaminsky, Duke Ejiofor, Jordan Brailford, and Quentin Bell. Uh, several of those guys were futures contracts and practice squad additions. Um, but, you know, outside of Ogundeji, you know, the rest of that group, even, even if you were to include Means and Copeland, probably at best you're having, you know, what, those seven guys competing for like one roster spot, you you know, know, it's a special teams role or or whatever the case may be. Uh, So, you know, to me at a minimum, if you're going to have four outside linebackers, four edges, whatever you want to call them, um, you're going to add at least two guys. Uh, But ideally in in my worldview, you probably add three or four guys and just completely remake this roster and wouldn't even necessarily keep a roster spot secure for Ogundeji. He'd have to earn his way onto a roster spot, although given his special team's ability, he probably would. So I I wouldn't necessarily talk about him being on the bubble in that way. But, um, you know, obviously one opportunity to add one of those up to four players or whatever the case may be would be with the Falcons' number one draft selection, which is the eighth overall draft pick. But my concern, if the Falcons do wind up using that on an edge rusher, is twofold, right? The first one touches upon my thoughts on this specific edge rusher draft class as well kind of specifically to this entire draft class in general which i'm still not convinced and again i'm still relatively early in the process so this is not my sort of final uh, opinion on this draft we may have a different opinion by the time we get to april when i will have a final opinion on this draft but my initial thoughts on this overall draft class and i think this is somewhat indicative in this edge group is you know guys are getting pushed up the board uh, because this draft class in particular doesn't really have that high level star power, right? You know, in a normal draft, some of these guys are going to be potential top 10 picks, like where the Falcons could wind up selecting them at number eight overall, whether we're talking about the edges or other position groups in a quote unquote normal draft, maybe they would have been mid to first round picks and they're getting pushed up five, 10 or more spots uh, because this draft class just doesn't have that as many premium talents as we've seen in recent years. 
The other issue I have with taking edge at that number eight overall spot is just simply expectations. Um, you know, the Falcons, as I mentioned earlier, have had, it's been a long time since the Falcons have, uh, you know, had a good pass rush and it's been a very long time, uh, since the Falcons have hit on a edge rusher in particular, uh, that was a good pass rusher, you know, it's like 20 years of baggage that would be heaped onto the shoulders of whoever the Falcons would draft with this number eight overall selection. And, you know, given where that player is going to be picked for most people, fans and media, they're going to expect that guy to be a 10 to 12 per year sack guy. Um, and the Falcons may wind up settling uh, for like a six to eight sack guy, uh, which is not particularly a bad player, but not necessarily the return that you're expecting when you use a top 10 pick on a pass rusher. If you look at the top 10 picks that were edges over a decade-long period from 2009 to 2018, there were 14 guys that were top 10 picks that were edges at that position. You look at their sacks over their first four years in the NFL. So, you know, the the meat of their rookie contract. Um, and then looked at all their combined sacks over those four years and then divided it, uh, you know, by how many games they played uh, and then averaged that over a 16-game season. The average for those 14 edges in the top 10 was about 8.2 sacks per 16 games. Vic Beasley was eighth, close to average, among those 14 edges with 7.6 sacks per 16 games. Dante Fowler was next on that list with seven sacks and Jadavion Clowney, the incomparable Jadavion Clowney. And yes, I'm using that word incomparable sarcastically multiple times on the podcast. If, if you're wanting to have some fun with a drinking game, hopefully not while driving, but uh, you know, every time I use the word incomparable, take a, take a drink, but uh, Jadavion Clowney, the incomparable Jadavion Clowney had 6.8 sacks per 16 games. And those are generally below average outcomes, basically based off of this data set. Um, and, you know, typically people expect, whether it's fair or unfair, uh, when you're using a top 10 pick that you're going to get a Von Miller and Alden Smith guys that average 14 sacks per 16 games. Miles Garrett, 13.3 sacks. Joey Bosa, 12 and a half. Khalil Mack, 10.1. Um, you know, and by the way, if you're curious where Chase Young fits on this, obviously he's only had two years, so not four, four seasons. But, you know, through two seasons, he's about six sacks per 16 games, which when you just adjust to the two-year data set, the first two years of these edges over that span of time uh, and add in some of the guys more recently drafted since 2018, you know, that's well below six sacks per 16 games is well below the two-year average among this entire group, which is 8.4 sacks for per 16 games. So, you know, I have to throw that in there because I have to constantly remind the people you know, that Chase Young, you know, being believed to be this generational pass rusher, that has not proven to be the case so far. Now, maybe he turns into that player in years three or four, whatever the case may be. But I would argue that probably means, you know, proves that he's not a generational player. Doesn't mean that he's a terrible NFL player, but I'm just saying he wasn't generational. But the point I'm trying to make is like, you know, whether we're talking about Chase Young or, the, you know, these elite players, these Von Millers, these Khalil Max, I don't think you're getting that guy if you're drafting an edge at pick eight this year, right? I don't look at the David Ojabos and the Trayvon Walkers and the George Karlaftis as those types of players. Uh, they certainly could still be very good NFL players. They all have relatively high ceilings at the next level, but for them to reach that ceiling is probably going to take a, a lot more development than some of these other guys that we're talking about, these real true elite prospects over the last decade plus. Um, and my 
other issue, given some of the baggage that we're talking about, is the Falcons just do not have a history of being the team that can develop that type of talent. And so it does not make me particularly optimistic that this year is going to be the year that it's different. You know, as I said, it's been 20 years since the Falcons had that type of player in terms of Patrick Kearney way back in 1999, where they drafted a guy and developed that guy and he became a successful player. Every other player that the Falcons have had that was a successful pass rusher was a defensive tackle like a Jonathan Babineau or Grady Jarrett, or was imported from outside the organization uh, like a, a John Abraham. And when you, I know people are going to sit here and say, well, Aaron, that's previous coaching staffs. Uh, that has nothing to do with this current one. True. Um, you know, but when you look at this current coaching staff and their resumes, you don't necessarily fills you with joy and, and, and optimism. You know, Gary Emanuel, who's the D line coach, uh, did a lot of great work at Purdue. Uh, putting guys in the NFL, but in his two major stints as an NFL assistant coach in Indianapolis and New York with the Giants, didn't have a whole lot of success developing edges. And notably, the Colts had one first-round bust in, in Bjorn Warner. Uh, Ted Monashino, the outside linebackers coach, did have some success developing some guys in Baltimore with Paul Kruger and Pernell McPhee. You also count Courtney Upshaw as a, uh, as a miss there in Baltimore, a player we talked about quite a bit. Um, but it's not as if Kruger and McPhee were like lead dogs or anything like that in Baltimore. More. You know, Kruger had a really nice second half stretch in that 2012 season where, you know, Courtney Upshaw was drafted and Terrell Suggs was injured. Um, Pernell McPhee was a, turned into a really solid sort of third wheel behind uh, Elvis Dumerville and Terrell Suggs in, in the years thereafter. But when you look at Monashino's uh, resume, nothing that makes you feel confident that, you know, they're going to turn one of these raw pieces of clay that we're talking about, potentially the Falcons pulling the trigger on and at the top of the draft into like a perennial 10 sack guy. Now, again, just because it hasn't happened doesn't mean it won't happen. And I'm not saying all this guys for someone to sit here and be like, Oh, Aaron doesn't think the Falcons should draft an edge rusher at eight. And I'm not saying that at all. I'm only saying this to basically temper expectations um, because I think, you know, as there tend tends to be when it comes particularly to the draft, and again, given all the baggage we have, that whoever we wind up drafting, if we do wind up taking an edge with that eighth overall selection, is probably not going to be this savior, right? Now, I can't speak to the rest of the fan base, but I at least hope that the Locked On Falcons listeners uh, will know better and, and pump the brakes when it comes to this guy and know that if the Falcons do, or at least believe if the Falcons do wind up pulling the trigger on an edge rusher at that eighth overall spot, uh, it's not going to be this guy that's going to come in and immediately fix, single-handedly fix the pass rush. He's going to be one piece of a bigger puzzle. Um, so that's part of it where like I feel like that bigger puzzle is you might want to take multiple bites of the apple. You want, might want to take, you know, get more at bats so that the potential that you hit uh, goes up rather than putting all your eggs into that basket. Um, you know, don't go into this thing with one player, believing one player is going to hope, uh, you know, is going to solve all your problems. And, you know, when it comes to the draft, I wouldn't mind at all seeing the team double trip dip, whether that's, you know, one of those dips in, in the first round or second round or whatever the case may be. And then a, another dip later in the draft in the mid rounds or something like that. Um, and then let's also not forget free agency. In addition to the draft, you also have free agency where the Falcons can address some of this issue. Um, and, you know, 
because we know that even if you do wind up drafting a player, most often those guys don't really impact those pass rushers until like years three and four, right? Like we, we do get some Nick Boses and Joey Boses that come in right away. Again, I don't think you're getting that player in this year's draft. We get a Khalil Mack or, or whatever the case may be that comes in in year one or year two that pops. Again, don't think you're getting that in this draft um, where the Falcons are picking, but like it happens, right? You know, Max Crosby came in and, and did pretty well early in his career as well. So it doesn't necessarily, it's not exclusive to those top 10 picks. Um, but like, again, I wouldn't put all your eggs in that basket. And given generally speaking, young pass rushers don't really, you know, hit until years three or four. Um, you know, if you want to get impact right away in years one and two of that guy's career, you're probably going to have to do it through the realm of free agency. Uh, and so therefore, um, you know, I think that's going to be a great avenue for the Falcons to get that more immediate production out of this pass rush. And we talked about this before when we talked about, you know, I think it was last week when we talked about how to improve this pass rush. And we talked about now AFC champion Cincinnati Bengals only had 17 sacks in 2020 and then had 42 sacks this past year. Thanks in large part to free agency and veteran additions going out there and signing a Trey Hendrickson, signing a Larry Ogunjebi and, and trading for BJ Hill. Um, but now, we talked about whether or not the Falcons in that episode could go out there and spend the type of money on a Trey Hendrickson type of player um, on sort of one of those big splash signings. Um, and given that we're only recently removed from trying to make a similar big splash by signing Dante Fowler, I'm not necessarily enthusiastic about, again, putting all of our eggs in that one single basket. Um, I haven't done as much research on, you know, the hit rate of free agent signings uh, at the edge rusher position as I did on previous episodes where we talked about the wide receiver group uh, and the history that, you know, signing wide receivers doesn't have a high hit rate uh, in free agency. Uh, but just sort of glancing over the, the currently highest paid edges in the league, you know, I noticed a lot of the good ones that changed teams were guys like Von Miller, Chandler Jones and Khalil Mack that were traded. Right. Similar to the how the wide receiver position where basically the conclusion is if you sign a wide receiver, chances are he's going to be a bust. If you trade for a wide receiver, it's going to be a home run. Right. Um, and then I look at, you know, some of the guys that signed new contracts with new teams in free agency. I see other names that pop out. Trey Flowers, Bud Dupree, Carl Lawson, Shaq Barrett, Trey Hendrickson, Robert Quinn, Zedaria Smith. And that seems a little bit more hit and miss uh, in that regard. Um, and then when I look at, you know, this year's upcoming you know, free agent edge class, you know, there are certain proven guys, Chandler Jones, Von Miller, Jerry Hughes, Melvin Ingram, guys that have a lot of history of being successful pass rushers, being those lead dogs. But all those guys are like 32, 33, 34 years old. Um, and while they certainly would have value as being mentors to a young pass rusher, particularly one that we may take in a top 10 of this upcoming draft, how much money do you want to spend on a 30 plus year old mentor that you are probably just essentially renting for one year? Um, you know, how much is that worth to you? Uh, and so that's a question there, especially when some of these guys are used to making like 15 plus million dollars a year. Um, and then you look at some of the other guys that are, you know, some of the more productive guys, at least coming off very productive sack seasons. You have Harold Landry, Hassan Reddick, Emmanuel Ogba, Jadavion Clowney. I think all these guys had like nine or more sacks this past year. Uh, and so you would assume those guys are also going to be paid lucrative contracts. But like all those guys are kind of buyers beware. You know, they're either sort of hot and cold type of guys, guys that seem to only produce in sort of contract year type of scenario. So do you want to do, again, 
can basically do the same thing that we did with Dante Fowler and, and tempt fate in that regard. Again, not saying that all those guys or any of those guys will automatically be bust, but it just seems like we're going down the same path that we just went down that didn't necessarily work off. So, um, you know, I'm a little scared off of that. So for me, going back to a conversation I had last week with Dave Cho uh, about his offseason goals and improving the pass rush, I tend to be more of that sort of mid tier approach or whatever, and looking for a bargain bin, you know, shopping on whatever the case may be again, not going, you know, veteran minimum contracts or whatever the case may be, but you know, guys in that like three, four, five, six, you know, million dollars a year range or something like that. And a couple of names, you know, jump off. When I look at those guys, those guys that are a little bit more of a scattershot approach, not going to be the single guy that's going to necessarily solve your pass rush. But if you can get like two or three of these guys, I think that would be a, a great addition to the team. Guys like Jacob Martin, Kamoko Ture, Uchina Nuosu, Lorenzo Carter, Marquise Haynes, Akbania, Okoronkwo, you know, these guys that are edge rushers that have flashed ability and limited opportunities, maybe, you know, sort of roll the dice, hoping that you find another sort of Shaq Barrett guy that you can buy low uh, and, and see him, you know, really jump out. Again, I, I wouldn't necessarily put any of these guys as a Shaq Barrett type uh, or quite as good as I thought Shaq Barrett was a couple of years ago. Another player I did advocate for the Falcons to sign in a similar capacity because I knew he was going to be cheap. Um, but, you know, if you can get uh, one, one of these guys or multiple of these guys uh, in addition to what you do in the draft, I feel better about, you know, potentially having three or four upgrades at this spot. And, and that, you know, may not sort of mean that you're going to have 40 plus sacks next year, but hopefully you'll be significantly better than necessarily 18 sacks. And there's, you know, Bengals also did it via trade. And so maybe you can, you know, pick up the phone and call, call a couple of teams and maybe give Washington a call, see what it would take to pry Montez sweat away from them. Give Jacksonville a call, you know, Calavon chase a player that has not quite lived up to expectations. You know, this year they're going to have to decide on his fifth year option. Maybe you give him a try uh, to see if you want to extend his fifth year option after the season, kick his tires. If you can maybe acquire him for a mid round pick or whatever the case may be. And you are also going to potentially have some, several cap cuts, several guys that are potentially also on the trade block, some bigger names than, than those guys I just mentioned, Zadarius Smith, the Neil Hunter, Preston Smith, Trey flowers, Frank Clark, D Ford, all these guys could wind up being cap casualties or guys that are shopped uh, over the coming week. So the, the Falcons are going to have plenty of opportunities to make big splashes this offseason. Uh, and while I won't sit here and say that those are bad moves, again, it wouldn't be the strategy that I would employ if I was running things, uh, but certainly moves that the Falcons could make. But I, I do think one decision that is kind of tied to that uh, that's kind of attached to the hip is it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to go out there in free agency and spend a whole bunch of money uh, at the edge rusher position. If you're also not willing to spend that same amount of money at the D line position, and we're talking about extending Grady Jarrett, but if the Falcons are in a position where they're hesitant to do that, or they're potentially shopping Grady Jarrett or whatever the case may be, then it doesn't make a whole lot of sense uh, to then spend on, at the edge rusher group in free agency as well. So those two decisions are attached at the hip. Uh, we'll get more into sort of Grady Jarrett status and future with this team later this week, probably on Thursday when we get to the year end positional review of that D line uh, position. Um, tomorrow's episode, we'll have a guest. I don't want to necessarily plug it right now because I want to confirm that guest, uh, beforehand. Um, but, uh, we should have a guest on tomorrow and, um, yeah, that, that kind of does it for today's edge rusher group. Again, the arrow is kind of pointing up. It, it can't get any worse 
essentially, and again, we'll have more to potentially say uh, about, you know, the Falcons offseason strategy when we get to the D line later this week. Uh, but that's going to do it for us here on Locked on Falcons. Uh, and of course, if you have any feedback that you want to provide me on anything I discussed about uh, on today's episode, anything you want me to discuss on future episodes or anything I've discussed on previous episodes, of course, you can hit me up on Twitter or Facebook at Locked on Falcons via email at Locked on Falcons at mail.com. Or you can hit me up by leaving a comment here on the Locked on Falcons YouTube channel. Uh, and uh, while that does it for us here on Locked on Falcons today, that doesn't mean that you should be done with the Locked On Podcast Network where you can also check out Locked On Hawks, Locked On Braves, Locked On Bulldogs on the same podcast platforms that you can find Locked On Falcons, just like you can find Locked On Bets on those same podcast platforms. And handicapping expert Lee Sterling is giving you his daily picks, his blowout specials, and his lock of the day to help you make a little bit more money uh, in the days and weeks leading up to that big game uh, next month. Or this month, I guess, technically, now that most of you guys are listening, it's in February. So, uh, you know, that's what you can check out, Locked on Bets. Uh, so, guys, that's going to do it for us here on today's Locked on Falcons. Appreciate it. Till then.